0: the podcast episode nine of the 2021 season and Dennis the rain is gone we're once again coming to you from beautiful Southern California and today we're recording this episode from the Lonnie Loach studio so who is Lonnie Loach
1: I knew you were gonna pull it out of your bag of tricks John but I can't give you any more details so please indulge me all
0: right so look with the Kings and the Ducks getting ready to play for the first time this season the first of uh, what eight games this year in the 2021 season of uh, 56 run to the to the finish here. Uh, They're getting ready to play their first game. And whenever the Kings play the Ducks, of course, it stirs up a lot of memories of these two crosstown rivals uh, here in Southern California. And one of the things that's always sort of at least intrigued me, um, it it would be the number of players that have played on on both sides Mm -hmm. for the two teams, because you, you still now 25 plus years later, you've never had that big trade between the two teams. However, there have been about 30 players. That have suited up for for both sides and you have some really big name players as well some really good ones Dustin Penner, Lubo, Sean O'Donnell, Yari Curry, Tomas Sandstrom we're not going to talk about it so there's a lot of good (laughs) you know high-end talents that have played on both sides but how about this one DB who was the first player to ever play for both the Kings and the Ducks? I guess it's Lonnie Loos that would really be a good guess, Dennis. It would be a good guess, but it was it's a little bit of a trick question because here's the thing. Loach was selected by the Ducks in the expansion draft that year, but he didn't play until the second half of their inaugural season there at the Pond. And so Jim Thompson, who actually played in October, he's the answer to the trivia question. I'll tell you more about him in just a moment, but uh, first a little bit on Lonnie Loach because I know you, you want to get in touch with the history of uh, hockey here in Southern California. Lonnie Loach was originally drafted by the Blackhawks in uh, Round 5 of the draft back in 1986. Interesting uh, notes when you dig into his career a little bit. He did play for the OHL Guelph Platters. Of course, Dustin Brown and Drew Dowdy played for the Guelph Storm. Uh, But uh, when when Loach was playing there in OHL Guelph, he was the rookie of the year. Uh, So he got off to a hot start there. Loach went on after his junior uh, career was over a few years later to play for five different teams in the IHL, which, of course, back in the day, the IHL and the AHL were equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, they just sort of split the country in half. And, and those were the top development leagues for the NHL clubs. So he spent uh, time on five different teams in, in the IHL and one other minor league season. And that was in the American Hockey League with a team called the Adirondack Red Wings. And for those that don't know, the coach, maybe you know this one, TB. Who was the coach of the Adirondack uh, Red Wings there in the early 90s? Bruce Boudreaux. Close. There is a Bruce Boudreaux tie-in to this story, but it is not Bruce Boudreaux. It was Barry Melrose. This was right before he got the job in Los Angeles. Now, interestingly, the, uh, the year before Melrose had him in Adirondack, Loach led the IHL with 131 points in 81 games. And I want to say those stats against so you, you can hear me. 131 points in 81 games. And uh, back then on that team uh, that he was with in the IHL, Um, That was Fort Wayne. And the second person in the, in the points battle on that club was boost Boudreau. And interestingly enough, Boudreau was a player and listed as the assistant coach with Loach that year in Fort Wayne. So interesting. So anyway, um, Melrose has him in Adirondack uh, and when he has him, he has 37 goals and 67 games. This guy really looks like an offensive, uh, you know, powerhouse. Well, what ends up happening is Ottawa claims him in the expansion draft. So it looks like he's headed to the Ottawa Senators organization. Ottawa releases him, after Loach that is, after three NHL games. And that's when brand new head coach to the LA Kings, fresh on the job, uh, he, he grabs him. And Loach goes on to score 23 points in 50 games with the Kings in 92-93. And he played one game that year in the playoffs. And this story continues after that run in 92-93 through the playoffs, through the Stanley Cup final there against Montreal. The Kings leave him exposed in the expansion draft. And who claims him? Anaheim. Okay. Uh, but he didn't play in the NHL, as I mentioned, until the second half uh, of the season, 93-94. So where was he that year? Well, he was actually in San Diego, which at that time, like it is now, was the top affiliate uh, for the Anaheim Ducks. And down in San Diego, he scored 42 goals in 74 games. So the Ducks thought they had something. Uh, but of course, they, they didn't at the NHL level. He is one of those... One of those players who puts up phenomenal numbers uh, when playing, you know, in the AHL or the IHL. And uh, it just doesn't seem to really translate at the NHL level. So Jim Thompson is actually the answer to the question of who played first, because he played early in October and uh, Loach didn't play until the second half of the season. So just some interesting stuff there. But uh, there's also another Ottawa tie in uh, to this whole story. Just to wrap it up, DB, Jim Thompson was uh, in December of 92, was acquired by the Kings in a trade with Ottawa for Bob Kudelski. So they ended up picking really two players uh, on that 92-93 Kings team came from the expansion Ottawa Senators. They picked up first Lonnie Loach at the beginning of the year when he was released and then in a trade for Kudelski, they ended up picking up Jim Thompson. So two role players that uh, diehard Kings fans will certainly remember, uh, but somewhat lost among the, the you know, legions of, of players that have played in the National Hockey League. You
1: know, Mayor, um, you mentioned trades between teams. Is the last trade between these two teams still John Sebastian Oban, or has there been a, a subsequent trade? Might be right.
0: Uh, nothing comes to mind uh, that has that has happened of late. I'm just trying to quickly think. I, I don't think. I don't think. Of course, the listeners will tell me immediately uh, if I'm wrong. But nothing. Nothing comes to mind. Uh, these just aren't two clubs that that have made a lot of trades. But you know what, though, Dennis, th- that's actually a great segue into another story that has somewhat long since been forgotten i think by most people talk about trades you want to talk about a trade between the kings and the ducks there was a trade i want to say it was in 2009 that depending on who you believe may or may not have happened or almost happened i should say but uh there was some some scuttlebutt that chris pronger was about to become a member of the la kings at the 2009 entry draft So the way this was going to work is it was going to be Jack Johnson and the King's number five uh, pick, which if memory serves me correctly, that would have been the Braden Shin pick. Uh, But it was going to be, it was going to be the King's first round draft pick and Jack Johnson. Maybe there was something else in there and Chris Pronger, was uh, allegedly going to be coming to the LA Kings. And uh, allegedly this deal became pretty close to happening. um, Although both GMs at the time denied it and and that's fine. But if I remember correctly here, later on uh, Pronger came out and said years later that, yeah, from what he understood through his agent or whatnot, that that trade did almost go down.
1: That would be amazing. But look, he led that team to a championship. He was a great player and... In Anaheim and Anaheim, just a legend uh, uh, with respect to how many years he's played. And you know he could have played longer, but just the, you know, the injuries got to him.
0: Dennis, all true, right? The player, uh, you know, had a phenomenal run with the Anaheim Ducks in addition to other teams in the league. And yeah, they won the Stanley Cup in 2007, all that stuff. But you're talking about enemy number one. Yep. You're talking about the guy that Kings fans perhaps hated more than any other player in the last at least 20 to 30 years. There's no other player that comes to mind that the Kings fans have hated more than Chris Pronger, and that dude was about to become an LA King.
1: That would have been stunning. Maybe Corey Perry, but it's a different kind of hate, right, John?
0: Here's what I think on the Corey Perry thing. I think that Kings fans say they hate him, uh, but I think deep down. They know that he's, the, he's one of those guys. He's like a Theo Fleury. Back in the early 90s, Kings fans would love to tell you that they hated Theo Fleury. They didn't hate Theo Fleury. They loved to boo Theo Fleury. But deep down, they knew that if they were able to get a guy like Theo Fleury, better yet, if they were able to get Theo Fleury on their team, that, right. that would have been a great ad. And I think it's the same thing with Corey Perry. There, there has to be. There just has to be on a rational level an appreciation for Corey Perry and having him on your team. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I don't think that rationale was there with uh, Pronger. I think Kings fans just legitimately hated <laughs> Chris Pronger. And no different than the Dodgers and Barry Bonds, right? right? The guy can hit a bazillion home runs. Dodger fans would have never, ever accepted Barry Bonds in a Dodger uniform. It didn't matter if he hit 90 home runs every year. They would never have accepted him. Got it. Yeah, you're right. I, I agree. It's a, it's a different
1: kind of hate, John, is what you're saying. It's, a, it's not a love-hate, it's a hate-hate relationship.
0: You know what, Dennis, that is the best way to put it. You just succinctly <laughs> made my point. There's love-hate and there's hate-hate. And I think when it came to Chris Pronger, it was hate-hate-hate with an exclamation point at the end. Uh, but we'll never know. These are one of those things that we'll just, we'll never know. But remember, Dean Lombardi is writing his manifesto. He's writing a 900-page, a three-volume <laughs> Uh, book. Yeah. And perhaps, maybe, we don't know, if he ever finishes the book, uh, perhaps th- there'll be a chapter in there. I'm sure there'll be some comments about Jack Johnson. There's, you can't <laughs> mention Dean Lombardi's early tenure with the LA Kings and not mention some drama surrounding Jack Johnson. Absolutely.
1: It's going to be an encyclopedia, John, if ever hits the uh, shelves. <laughs>
0: I I'm, I'm going to need to hunker. I don't have a basement, but I'm going to need to hunker down in a basement somewhere for about three weeks and read that book. And there's going to be highlighting and pages folded. There's going to be note-taking that is going to be, uh, I hope he teaches a class at some college right. one semester to, you know, really break down and have open discussion. Hell we can do it over zoom if he needs to, he doesn't even have to leave his, his ranch in Montana or whatever. Here's my can-
1: question to you though. Yeah. Percentage wise, how much baseball reference is going to be in that? autobiography
0: i think it's right in the title that's what i was saying a few shows back i think (laughs) writing the title somehow he works in like you know how the yankees or the red Sox you know uh uh, inspired you know years of success as a general manager or something i don't know i I give it three pages in before he mentions Derek jeter and and if not if not his editors took over because the original draft absolutely mentions jeter in the first three pages
1: over under three pages for sure
0: (laughs) there you go we're gonna set the I don't know if you saw my tweet the other day. Sometimes I just live to amuse myself, Dennis. Yes, I don't you know if you know. saw my tweet the other day no, about the, no. uh, the over-under on getting Cole Holtz to smile. In oh, the, yes, uh, yes,
1: I saw that. <laughs> As a half.
0: It was a half? It was <laughs> The over-under <laughs> was, was 0.5. Uh, no smiles. No That's smiles fantastic. at all. Um, I love Cole Holtz, though. You know what I should have done is I should have equally put out odds for the over-under on him mentioning his brother. We talked yes. with Adrian Kempe recently uh, and, and how he idolizes his brother. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, it's not, I'm not dissing Kempe when I say that. Um, the same thing can be said for Cole Holt. He came on our program here on the podcast and, and talked up his brother Mitch as well. And they're, just, they're very close. And uh, he mentioned, if I, if I uh, remember the tally correctly, he referenced his brother at least three times in the uh, post-game Zoom the other night. So maybe I'll start doing that. I'll put, a, uh, put an over-under out on a smile and an over-under on a Mitch Holtz uh, mm-hmm. reference. Just, just for fun, just for something yep,
1: for to do.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Hey, Dennis, speaking of fun, uh, there are two things that are coming up that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Um, and, of course, we have a great show today, by the way, guys. We have uh, Felix Sicard coming on. He's going to break down everything related to the Anaheim Ducks in the second period. And uh, in the third period, Dennis and I will be back, and we'll talk about all of the whew, myriad of changes coming to the L.A. Kings lineup with guys being out injured and protocol-related and all that sort of stuff. But uh, two other things to hit on here, DB, in the first period when you're talking about fun. Reverse retro, man. It's finally here. We've spent so many months talking about these purple and gold jerseys. Reverse retro, the LA Kings, the debut of the jersey is coming up on Tuesday night in game one of the Kings Ducks. Where's your where's your excitement level right now, DB?
1: Oh, really? I think they're going to look awesome. All the hype been sold out for weeks. You can't get one. I just think it's it's time to put it on the ice. So I think it's going to be really exciting. And as you mentioned, John, the only really downside is that the Ducks don't want to cooperate by driving, you know, Thirty jerseys up the, uh, the five to uh, to where they're, uh, they're reverse retros. But I'm excited. I think that they're going to look awesome on the ice. Can't wait to see them tomorrow night.
0: And, and I do. Uh, I, I don't want to pee on the parade of reverse retro, but I do just want to get this out there once again, because the Minnesota Wild recently debuted their reverse retro. And, and I'm just going to say it again. I know it's not a popular opinion, but I really don't care. I don't understand all the hype around the Minnesota Wilds reverse retro jersey. To me, it looks atrocious.
1: Well, it's an homage to the North Stars, right? Because there's stars on the sides of the pants, mm-hmm. and I just think people like the green and gold, John. I think it, it throws them back to the the days of the Minnesota North Stars. They're okay. Some people advocate this should be their, their permanent road jersey. I don't know.
0: Uh, it just it just doesn't do it for me. I don't, and and I like the North Stars jersey. I don't know why. I think it might have something to do with the fact that I've never liked the logo of the Minnesota Wild. You know, um, so. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe if they went full retro and did like a big N on their, on their Jersey or something, if they went more retro, like for example, you know, the way Colorado, I think went more retro towards, they really leaned into the Nordiques. So maybe if Minnesota would have, I, I don't know. I just, there's just something about that Jersey that uh, doesn't sit right. with me. I get you. Okay. Uh, did, did you ever weigh in on, on what your favorite reverse retro Jersey was? I don't remember. Of all the ones out there. Yeah, of of the thirty teams. Like, you know, I mean, I oh, think I commented before I like the Capitals. I, you know, uh did was there a team you liked? It was LA and it was um Colorado because the Nordiques. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Um, hey, look, there's one other exciting thing, and you and I love to uh promote when when other when good things happen to, you know, good people. Yes. Uh Steven Nelson has been on the program a number of times here and chatted with us. And he's been, of course, calling the games for NHL Network when Team USA has played at the World Juniors the last couple of years. He calls a phenomenal game, um, as I've mentioned on Twitter, probably a thousand times. And, and he was great both times we had him on the podcast here sharing sort of his insights into how he prepares for uh, calling games and things like that. And the NHL uh, Network announced here in the last uh, 24 hours or so that they are going to be producing so not just airing NHL games, but they're going to be producing NHL games this season. And uh, They're going to stick their toe in the water. And Stephen Nelson is going to be the lead play-by-play. This guy, this is pretty exciting TV. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. It's about time, John. And they have done this before. Somebody tweeted this the first time NHL Network hasn't done it. When they were based in Toronto and John Shannon ran the network, they did produce some games. But I think this is exciting and I agree with you. Stephen deserves to get the shot. And I think it's going to be exciting. He's going to have like Kevin Weeks and I think Mike Rupp as analyst in the first couple of games, TBD, with, the, with respect to the rest of the game, felt vibes, but I think it's awesome that they're going to do their own production and their own broadcast on NHL Network.
0: And, and DB, while we're talking about broadcasts, can we spend a couple of minutes talking about the situation that the LA Kings are facing and streaming and blackout? And sure, uh, can, we, go, can we talk about this for a couple of minutes? Please. Because... Uh, it's been an issue. It's been an issue on Twitter, okay? Um, And maybe across other social media channels, but for whatever reason, it seems to be more of an issue on Twitter. First of all, uh, let's talk about blackout rules because hockey fans seem to struggle with this. Uh, I know Major League Baseball fans do as well. So let's just make some sort of general commentary here. The leagues and and the channels that air their games and whatnot, there are very specific rules about what can and can't air in a team's local market. So just so that everybody's clear from a business perspective, the the team or the league owns the broadcast rights and then, they lease those out to other people on a fixed-year contract. So, for example, you'll hear the NFL signed a 10-year deal with this particular channel, whether it's CBS or whatever, and they're going to air X number of games. And the NFL does a great job of splitting up their, their programming so that Fox has a little bit, NBC has a little bit, ESPN has a little bit, and so on. Some of the other sports are more exclusive. So, like, UFC, for example, has an exclusive deal with ESPN, and they control across the ESPN channels. And now ABC, which is the owner of ESPN, they control where and when the the events are are on television. And everybody, I think, knows that the NHL, their their national broadcast deal that's ending this season is with NBC. But the NHL here in the States, uh, they they lease those out for a fixed number of of years, like we talked about. Teams sell their individual rights um, in their local market, and the local market is defined um, by the league. So, for example, when Anaheim, moved into Southern California, they had to pay $25 million to the Kings because they were encroaching on their market. Uh, and if the Kings could have really, if you think about it, they could have kept the ducks out of the league. They could have just said, no, we're not gonna allow them to encroach on our our territory. It's like a franchise model. If you're a McDonald's, right? You, you own a certain territory. Somebody else can't just come and build a McDonald's across the street or four doors down from you because you control uh, an area a footprint on a map. And so the Kings gave up part of their footprint on the map by accepting 25 million dollars, which is a different story for a different day. But the point to this is the Kings sell their broadcast rights to a channel. And believe it or not, DB, think about this. They have been on the same channel for 35 years. Right. So if you ever wanted to find a Kings game, you knew where to find <laughs> a Kings go. game for the last 35 years. It's been pretty easy to figure it out, <laughs> uh, regardless of the change of names of the channel through the years or whatever. Uh, you know, Prime Ticket, Fox Sports West. They've been with the same company now for 35 years uh, and that company is getting ready to change names as well, which we talked about recently. But the point to this is if you want to watch a Kings game, you know where to find a Kings game because they haven't moved channels. Now, if you as a consumer have elected to move carriers, that's your prerogative. That's your business. Right. But if you no longer can get the Kings because you moved carriers, that really is a you problem. That's not an L.A. Kings problem. Now, I, I understand there's a flip side of this, DB, that the Kings don't want the games to be limited in the to the viewers, right? They, they don't they want his, less
1: viewers, correct.
0: No, they don't want less viewers. I don't think correct. Kelly Cheeseman or anybody in the LA Kings organization, Luke Robitaille, I don't think they've ever had a meeting and they've said, how can we have fewer people watching the games? I don't think that's ever happened. They want more people to watch the games. The point that I'm getting to here is there are a couple different things that are going on Dennis. Number one, I don't think this is the same thing as when the Dodgers sold their broadcast rights to time Warner. Right. And then that was a cash grab, which again, I don't have a problem with because they're a business. They own the rights to the games and they made a decision to get an, an infusion of cash, significant infusion of cash. um, And they, they calculated what the risks were. Now I don't agree with the risks. I think that it was, I don't think it was a smart business move. It might have been financially a smart business move at the time because they were able to get a lot of cash. But I think the downside of that is there are generations of Dodger fans that were lost. And uh, them not being available as widely as they once were, I think has created a problem for future generations. But putting that aside, if you wanted to watch the Dodgers, they were available. You might not have liked it, but you might have had to change from DirecTV to get to Time Warner or whatever. But you knew as a consumer, if you wanted to watch the Dodgers, they were available. They were available. See,
1: exactly. Bingo.
0: But you had to follow them. See, so they were forcing you to make a decision. Right. That you may or may not have wanted to make. And by
1: that's not selling them to that, they wouldn't cut a deal with with Dish or DirecTV.
0: They right. made it a full exclusive. Yes, exactly. And again, that's their right to do it. So I, I'm just Absolutely. I'm saying that the the, the the experience or the situation, I should say, was different for the LA Kings oh, yeah. than it was it's very different. Agree 100% because the Kings didn't do anything. The Kings aren't benefiting. They didn't receive more cash so that people can't watch the games and that you had to follow them. They've been on the same channel for 35 years. That channel was sold as part of the Fox deal. Fox originally scooped up all the regional sports networks and then Fox sold them off. And then Sinclair came in and bought them. And then they have made things a little bit, more challenging but my point is this if you as a fan want to watch the kings games you might not like that you have to move because maybe you made a move once upon a time that you thought was better for you and that's great but the games are there so don't say that the games aren't on tv and you don't have access to them anymore you do have access to them if you're not watching the kings games this season that's your choice you're you are electing to not watch the games right. cuz you can start watching them immediately just sign up with the carrier that has those games. I mean, is that is it that simple, Dennis? Yeah, I got DirecTV. You have DirecTV? Are we watching <laughs> the games? I, I, I right. have DirecTV because I keep trying to tell everybody I believe I do believe this. Most sports fans, I think, have DirecTV because yes, it offers most. It offers the most sports programs. Not so close either. It's like I could sit here and bitch and complain about the things I don't like about DirecTV if you wanted me to, but that's not what I think this rant was about. It was about. Right. Are the games available now? The other thing would be uh, the the blackout rules. So the blackout rules are actually pretty simple. And the NFL goes through this. Major League Baseball goes through it and all the other teams go through it, right? If you buy Sunday ticket on the NFL to watch your team, whoever your team is, if your team is on locally in that market, you don't get the out of town feed. You have to watch the local channel. So here, for example, in Southern California, if the game is on CBS, if it's on Channel 2, you don't get to watch it as part of the Sunday ticket, even though you're paying for Sunday ticket. You have to watch it on local Channel 2. It's no different than Major League Baseball and with the NHL. Correct. and Everybody's saying, well, I bought center ice. It's unfair that, they're, that the Kings games are blacked out. No, it's not unfair. <laughs> it, it's you don't understand the TV Black rules. That's what I'm here to try to help you understand. The Kings control the local market. So if they have sold the rights to watch the games to the local market, which in this case is Fox Sports West, they control the local market. No other carrier via stream or via center ice or via NBC or via whatever can come in and broadcast competition to the Fox Sports West. Think about it. If you worked at Fox Sports West and you paid, I'm just making up numbers, and you paid a million dollars to own the rights, that wouldn't be very fair if another, no company came in and broadcast on top of you that'd be like you owning a mcdonald's franchise right. and then another guy comes in and puts a mcdonald's right across the street it, it that's that's not the way the world works well, dennis
1: the only exception would be like the nbc games where the nbc
0: gets exclusive and you might see Anaheim, and I, I think that's the
1: case okay, but hold on hold on
0: that's different dennis that's different watch if let's say tomorrow night's game king's ducks if that yeah. game is one of the regional games that's being shown on nbc sports that night It's not going to be the game in this local market because the local channels are carrying the game. Therefore, NBC Sports is going to flip to another regional game. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the Kings game is blacked out in Southern California. Now, the only time that there might be an exception, and I don't recall if this has ever happened before, and I don't think it would have, but it might have. And somebody out there is going to try to nitpick on this minor detail. If there was a nationally televised game, if the Kings were part of a nationally televised game and for whatever reason, Fox sports West decided to air the game that night, then they might've been on two different channels that particular night. But I don't think so because I I think think it would be, I think it would be blacked out. So I, you know, let's not go down a rabbit hole of what might've happened. 1% of the time one, right? Exactly.
1: one off. You don't want to do that. No. No, Your point is understand the blackout rules. And if you want to watch it really that badly, go subscribe to a carrier that covers the games.
0: Yes, I had a, I had a fan, for example, uh, a nice guy. He wasn't arguing. He was he was a fan of the Kings who had moved to Minnesota. And he was upset because he bought center ice to watch the Kings this year. And then locally, the, the Kings wild games were blacked out. And he was frustrated because he's like, I'm not a fan of the wild. Why are they? I don't want to watch this. I want to watch the Kings. Why are they blacking out? And I, so I had to explain the whole rules to him. Like, yeah. Hey, dude, you live in the Minnesota wild territory. Therefore, Minnesota wild controls that that right. game that we, night. We the wild feed. Yeah, you need to watch the Wild feed exactly. And if, you, okay. if you're streaming something and you don't have access to that, well, then you're just kind of screwed that night. You know, you're going to need to get access to that if you, if you want that. So, okay. So uh, now it's, 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 it's long. Long. okay, so in the
1: it's 2021. So that means we have breaking <laughs> COVID news. I'm going to give you the good news first.
0: Okay. And I'm going to give
1: you the bad news. The good news is the Golden Knights are expected to resume practice on Wednesday and they're going to play the game Friday against the Kings at T-Mobile. All right. The bad news is New Jersey Devils are getting hit with COVID. They're shutting down everything, and they're probably going to be shut down for the next week. Oof.
0: Not good. If you picked up Jack Hughes in your – well, we, ha- we have to say this, Dennis, first of all, of course, we hoped that for the health and safety and the wellness of everybody. We hope that everybody is OK. That goes without saying, I think. But for some reason, there's people that think that we're supposed to say that every time. But uh, putting that aside, if you picked up Jack Hughes in your fantasy uh, uh, leagues because he was off to a pretty good start there, then unfortunately, he's going to be sidelined for sounds like a week, huh?
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's Darren Dreger saying, and he'll have more on this. But the New Jersey Devils shutdown is likely to cover the next week. So, OK, it's where we are right now in the world.
0: All right. So I think we've gone as far as we can go with the first period, DB. Why don't we get to the other side here? We'll have Felix Sicard come in, and he'll tell us about all things Anaheim Ducks, Mighty Ducks, related as we get ready for the Kings and the Ducks on Tuesday night. We'll be back.
2: We're going to trust when the judge is so and the jury must discuss. Say you don't look like one of us. we going to turn. Now the
1: court has been midnight. The lessons that you learn are not as bad.
0: Second period. Let's get after it. We're really excited for our next guest, TV, because this is an opportunity for us instead of talking to players and general managers and coaches, which, of course, we appreciate. And obviously the listeners enjoy uh, hearing what they have to say. We're going to go in a little bit of a different direction, though, and it's been quite some time since we've done this. Uh, we're going to bring in a writer, somebody who covers a team and get a different perspective. Uh, and we're right now we're bringing in Felix Sicard. He's covering the Anaheim Ducks this year for the fourth period. So, Felix, welcome into the program.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk Ducks. You know, there's, there's a lot going on
0: there. Well, that's what we want to get into. We, we think there's a lot going going on there. Um, I, I'm on record as saying that I think or I thought I should say prior to about a year ago that the Ducks farm system was a little bit ahead of where the Kings were. And uh, I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll talk about a lot of those guys as well. I mean, there's there's so many of them beyond just Trevor egress. Um but wh- why don't we just start, sort of overall, uh, you know, as we prepare for the Kings and the Ducks to play here on Tuesday night? Um, the 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 two teams are tied in the standings. I mean, it's really early in the season, but you're talking eight points. The Ducks are three, five, and two right now, riding a three-game losing streak after ten games. What's your overall sort of general assessment of the team?
2: Uh, they're not very good. <laughs> I, I don't. That would be my where I would start. They've been really bad defensively. You know, they've really regressed. From that point of view, where it seems like they're just all they're worried about is sitting back, trying to prevent those high danger opportunities, and it's come at the cost of just giving teams so much time with the puck. And the other cost is that it's harder for them to generate offense going the other way. So they struggled to score. They struggle to uh, generate consistent offense, and they're poor in their own end. And really, the only saving grace has been John Gibson and how great he's been. But now, in the last two games, we've seen him. It just did a little bit of a step back, you know, nothing too, too worrying, but just enough to where it kind of pulled the rug out from under the team a little bit.
0: So why don't we start there in golden? Let's start with with John Gibson. Uh, A lot of people have thought over the last couple of seasons that he's been worthy of some Vesna consideration. And uh, it looks like he's going to have to have a Vesna type season this year if the Ducks are to have any sort of a chance of sniffing the playoffs. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, if there's a trophy above Vezina for goalies, he would need that as well. Because that's Okay, Daryl
0: Sutter. Daryl Sutter, calm down. He's not he's not the best goalie that you've ever seen.
2: Oh no, I I just mean I just mean in the sense that he needs to be beyond the Vezina level for this team to have a chance. Oh because they they're playing so poorly that he has to do everything and uh yeah, and he's playing like that right now, but it's still I mean you see the record, it's still not enough.
1: So, Felix, when you see that first period against St. Louis in the opening game set, and the opening of that set, like what what do you, what's going through your head when you watch that team play that first three minutes of that game?
2: Well, I wasn't very surprised because this is, this has been brewing for this team where they have these really bad first periods where they get horribly outshot, outchance, don't generate anything. Now, they don't start on time, and when you don't start on time, you're really putting yourself behind the eight ball. And so there, there have been games, many games, where it hasn't mattered because John Gibson has been wiped out, and they've managed to maybe get one on the other end. And in this game, it was the complete opposite. John Gibson could not bail them out, and they got completely exposed. So wasn't really surprised, and I think that they maybe needed that a little bit just to show, hey, there's there's got to be something that structurally that changes here these, these starts are just totally unacceptable
0: moving from the net and into the defensive area uh obviously the big headline i guess from an anaheim ducks perspective during the offseason would have been the acquisition of kevin shattenkirk which was odd to me i, I personally i found it a little bit interesting it sort of just mm-hmm. felt like a move that a gm goes out and makes because he was you know he didn't land the fish once before and so it's still sitting there but i think when you look at the complexion of the team and what I think most people would have expected from this group coming in. Perhaps that wasn't the wisest move. Not sure. But uh, you have Shattenkirk there on the top pairing. Cam Fowler, who, in my mind, he's good. He just has never really lived up to the hype of what everybody expected him to be. He's mediocre. He's solid. He's a second pairing guy, but he's not that. Norris trophy caliber sort of guy that you're going to anchor your blue line with and then of course they also signed Ben Hutton who's playing on the third line so our third pairing excuse me so a couple of my observations how, how do you sort of assess the the defensive core at this point
2: well it's been shaky for sure and you know with Kevin Shattenkirk I agree with you that when they signed that contract it was a bit of a a bit of a question mark moment because this is a team that is supposedly, you know, in a transition that's retooling. And then all of a sudden you sign Kevin Shattenkirk, who is a 32 year old defenseman. And you're signing him to a three year deal. So where exactly does that fit into the retool? But then after that, we find out that part of the pitch to Kevin Shattenkirk was that, Hey, we're, we're, we're trying to win now. We're we're going all in. We're, we're, we're back in the playoff hunt. Uh, (laughs) We're speaking it into existence. And so, you know, he's, he had a good start. I thought he looked really solid in, in the series against Vegas and, you know, did okay after that. But he's really struggled, um, you know, against Arizona and against St. Louis. Had, a, had an okay game last night. Has been in this terrible habit of taking awful penalties at really inopportune moments. Campus um, Lindholm has been great. I mean, I think he's really been the only anchor on that blue line. Cam Fowler and Yanni Hockenthal have formed kind of this surprisingly okay second pairing. Uh, in Josh Manson's absence, who has been out since almost the very beginning of the season now, and Ben Hutton and Jacob Larson. I mean, the results aren't really there yet, but I do think that Ben Hutton has looked okay. You know, I know that you guys are are more familiar with him than I am, but I think he's looked solid. So that the blue line isn't really the issue for this team. I think Shattenkirk needs to be better. Fowler hasn't been great. He hasn't followed up on the good season he had last year. But overall. That's not really where the issues lie for this team, I would say, or at least not the main issue.
1: Okay, so let's go to the main issue. Uh, Against St. Louis on Sunday, Adam Henrique was a scratch. left has five points, but he has no goals. Ricard Raquel, who knows where that scoring touch went. And to be honest, and see if you agree with me, their most effective line is their fourth line right now.
2: Yeah, well, well. So the main issue is definitely, like you're alluding to here, that the, the forwards. I mean, they just haven't really been able to get anything reliable, uh, you know, any kind of reliable offense generated there, and that's kind of hard to win when you're not good defensively and you can't score on the other end. And so with Ricard Raquel, I think that he's looked a little better as of late. I thought that scratching, I thought scratching Adam Henrique, you know, barring some kind of possible trade, which we've heard nothing about. I thought it was kind of absurd that they did that because although Adam Henrique has struggled, I mean, he's undoubtedly not lived up to his contract this season. You don't make your team better by taking him out of the lineup when the guy you're bringing in, with all due respect, Andrew Agazino, solid AHL player, but you're putting a lot of pressure on Andrew Agazino. And the Ducks looked better last night, but we don't know if, if I mean, that would have probably happened anyway, even if you had left Adam Henrique in, and they still lost, and they still struggle to finish chances and create chances. So there's a lot going on there. Uh, I think part of the issue with the forwards is that they really entrusted the kids, you know, the Sam, I mean, and by the kids, I mean, uh, Troy Carey, Sam Steele, Max Coltwap. They put them on a line together to start the year and they looked okay to start, but they've been just atrocious, atrocious defensively. And I think Dallas Akins wisely broke them up last night and they've looked okay. Separately. Max Jones, who's another one of those kids, he has actually looked really good next to Ryan Getzlaf. And as far as the fourth line, I mean, they've looked okay. I mean, by comparison, they they haven't been as bad as the the kid line. But I still think that even though they managed to limit some opportunities, they just don't give you enough going the other way. So there's not a whole lot to like on that forward group right now.
0: Well, I'll tell you one thing I do like is Nick Delorier there on the fourth line. I've uh, been, been a huge supporter of Nick DeLaurier for a long time, going back to his days in Manchester, even actually to his days playing the Quebec league when he was a Kings prospect, just a fun, loving guy, um, always in a good mood, always smiling. Tough as nails. The guy is just, he'll, he'll drop the gloves with anybody. And, uh, he, you know, we, we've been talking on this program about the idea of moving Curtis McDermott from defense to forward. And Deloria is one of those guys who came in as a defenseman and then now is playing as a forward. So might be uh, something for the LA Kings to look at there. But working a little bit further up the lineup, you mentioned Max Jones, Troy Terry. There's so many guys here. Sam Steele, we could talk about. Max Comtois. Um, I, I love Max Jones. Loved his game in AHL San Diego. Loved him coming up through the system. I know Troy Terry gets a little bit more of the uh, attention along with Sam Steele. Of those three players, though, because I think Comtois is kind of going to be in a different level when, when he's fully baked, fully cooked, if you will. Um, Max Jones, Sam Steele, Troy Terry. Who of those three have you liked? And, and who is the one that you're probably the most concerned about right now?
2: That's a great question. So the one that I'm the most concerned about is definitely Sam Steele. I think that even though he had, I I think it's fair to say he had the most hype coming into the NHL. He Mm -hmm. was, he had some, some some really high scoring, high scoring seasons in junior, but he just hasn't shown, I mean, he hasn't really shown anything. He's had good stints on the power play where he's had some decent chemistry with Getzloff, but that was last year and this year. You know, the coaching staff, Dallas Akins really trusts him. He's the only kid who never came out of the lineup last year, who never got sent down to San Diego. And look, fair play to them. They want to develop him on the fly, but it just doesn't seem to be clicking yet. So I'm concerned about him. I think Troy Terry, he doesn't get that benefit of the doubt from the coaching staff. He's been scratched in two of the last three games, something like that. Max Jones, I, I agree with you. I think that he... I think his upside is a bit limited because I don't know if he'll get that kind of scoring touch, but mm-hmm. he just he seems very comfortable with the kind of player he is. He goes to the net, wins battles, has decent foot speed, and that has seemed to work next to a guy like Getzlaff. And as far as Max Coltois, although I do agree with you, he is in a bit of a different category just because he does have that scoring touch, which you can't really teach that. His defensive game is its still way behind where it probably needs to be at age 22. But yeah, once he's fully formed, if he can get there, I think that he will be a pretty solid NHLer.
1: All right. So if you don't follow Felix on Twitter, it's Felix underscore Sicard, And if you do follow him like I do, let's talk about accountability um, with respect to the coach and the general manager. Bob Murray's been there since 2008. Uh, this is the second go around for Aikens on in the NHL. Who's ultimately responsible for the way the team's playing right now?
2: Uh, I mean, I think that there's definitely layers to it. I think that Dallas Aikens has unquestionably not optimized his roster from the very beginning of the season. I mean, with all due respect to Isaac Lindstrom, but if you're putting him on your second line next to Ryan Getzlaf when you do have other available options like, say, a Sonny Milano, I just don't think you're, you're optimizing that the resources you have. Um, and Dallas Akins, I think, has really leaned into that fourth line almost too much, even though they've they've been okay, like you've mentioned. So I think Dallas Akins definitely deserves a good share of the blame. The, the power play, although it's been scoring a bit as of late, it still is, just feels really stagnant. And he, I mean, that's a coaching issue, right? And one thing that doesn't get talked about enough with the Ducks is that they've had the same assistant coaches now, going going past beyond when Dallas Akins was the has been the head coach. You, you've got Mark Morrison and Marty Wilford that they've had there since the Carlisle days. And, uh, you know, those guys are supposedly, you know, they're the guys that are taking care of the systems, the special teams and those aspects of the game outside of the PK haven't been great. So I I think coaching staff definitely deserves some blame. But at the end of the day, who has set this table? Who has brought in the pieces? Who has hired the coach? It's general manager Bob Murray, and he's been here now long enough to where there is no question this is fully – his team, this is the roster of his choosing. This is the coaching staff of his choosing. And he he deserves a very considerable part of the blame here. And I just don't think that if this season continues on the path that, that it's on right now with the team really struggling, I just don't know how you can make a, a logical, rational case that he should continue to be the general manager, that he can get another coaching hire or, or get another, another opportunity to make big trades. I just think that at a certain point, you need a fresh set of eyes on this franchise. You need someone who hasn't been there. And um, so, yeah, I I think that just to kind of sum it all up, coaching has not been great, but ultimately it it, it does land at the feet of management for sure.
1: And so you, two words you used big trades. We always hear about how this team is in the mix to make a big trade (laughs) and they never Mm do. So, so what happens? Is he gun shy or did we, overestimate the prospects or I mean, what do you think it happens where you're in the conversation on every big deal, supposedly, because you supposedly have a great system yet. You never pull the trigger for a team that obviously needs help now.
2: Yeah. So I, I, I think with, with respect to the, 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 the trade debate, I think that it's, it's a couple of things, at least from my view of it. I just think that one is the ducks. Yeah. They're in on all the conversations, but do they really have, that attractive of assets to other teams. You know, are, would Columbus really have wanted, let's say, a, a Ricard Raquel, Sam Steele, second-round pick pa- package as opposed to getting Patrick Liney, right? Like, which one of those right. sounds more exciting? And so I think with the Dubois situation, if you read between the tea leaves, it just kind of feels like, you know, Liney was Columbus's guy all along and everyone else kind of got brought in to, to make sure that, that the, the price was right, that they were getting back from Winnipeg. Um, but yeah, I think that part of it is that Bob Murray and the Ducks organization at times maybe overvalues their own prospects. You know, we heard about how they were just completely unwilling to move Zegres and Drysdale to get Pierre Luc Dubois, and I think that Zegras totally understandable to leave him off the table. And I understand why you maybe wouldn't want to trade a Jamie Drysdale because you just drafted him sixth overall. But is he really that untouchable to where you can't you can't move him to bring in you know a 22 year old? first line center it just feels yes. a little well look if, if if that's your view on it i i understand it but for me i think that it, it should have at least been on the table so i think they do overvalue their prospects a bit but at the end of the day other teams just have better assets to, to offer and i think that that could just be it
0: yeah let me uh just sort of for I guess weigh in on a couple of those things there. Um, I said coming into last season that uh, I I thought that Dallas Eakins was on the hot seat coming into last season. I just thought that it was a big make or break year for that team. They needed to take a step forward. You used the word earlier regression. And I think that's what we've seen with a lot of these prospects doubt. Look, Dallas is a nice guy. He's a great guy. Everybody loves him. He's a a great story, rides his bike to work and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, you have to be effective and I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean he's everybody. Oh, you talk, yeah. Everybody you talk to loves the guy. But there's a difference between being liked and being respected, or being liked and being a winner. And I think of someone like Terry Murray in Los Angeles compared to a Daryl Sutter. Daryl Sutter was not liked by everybody when he first came into the league or first came into the uh, into Los Angeles. But he certainly whipped everybody into shape and found a way to make a team that had been sort of, you know languishing in the weeds into a powerhouse, if you will. And I think that we're sort of seeing the same thing with Anaheim. Uh, he, he, he was doing a fine job in San Diego, and that's great. Um, but I just, I'm not sure that he has the chops to get it done at the NHL level. Maybe and maybe like, level. you point out, right. You're right. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's about the assistance and maybe if he had different assistance that would help prop him up a little bit, but I just, I don't want to use that as an excuse. I want the accountability right. to fall upon Dallas Eakins. I didn't like the job that he did last year. It's early, but I'm not impressed with the job that he's doing this year. And I just don't think that for this team with the volume of prospects that they have and the talent that they have to take the next level, I'm, I'm honestly just not sure that he's the right guy um but to your point about the two prospects i certainly don't think that jamie drysdale or zegris should be involved in any trade discussions um especially not for that player Th- these are the two cornerstones for for a prospect pool that is among the top two or three in the national hockey league at number you know in the top five at worst in anaheim um they have a lot there but the two crown jewels that really helped to put them over the top would have been Zgris and Drysdale to a lesser extent. I I had said coming into the draft that I wasn't a big fan of Drysdale, at least not in that particular spot, but, but, but whatever. Um, You you had talked about a couple of these other players and the challenges they're having defensively. And from Kings fans, we've heard a lot about play the kids, play the kids, play the kids, Max Jones, 22 years old, Troy Terry, 23 years old, Uh, Sam Steele, 22 years old, Max Comtois, 22 years old. These are kids that had, a little bit of a taste at the American league level and had played some professional hockey and you're now seeing the challenges of playing the kids at the NHL level, as you said, defensively, they're just not there and physically they're not always strong enough. Is that something you would agree with?
2: Yes. And I think that you make some really great points about Dallas Higgins that he, I mean, it's unquestionable. This guy seems very likable, right? Everything you hear about him, everything that, you know, and he speaks well, he has the right intentions, but, look, he's supposed to be a development type coach, right? That's he was an AHL coach and you haven't seen a ton of development from these kids are They shouldn't be this bad defensively. I mean, there should be some kind of system to mitigate that a bit. And I think that for example um, you know, you see other coaches in the in, in the NHL who are able to achieve that to some degree, give them some kind of structure to operate in and whatever structure those kids are being given, I mean, I don't want to completely give them that out because they, they also haven't been good enough at times, but it seems like you should be able to shelter them a little better, right? Let them kind of work their way in. And I think the Kings have done a, bit, a, bit, a better job of that when they've brought up their own young players. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just learning on the fly is hard, right? If, if you're not a, a top-level prospect, if you're not an A-plus prospect, it's, gonna, it's just going to be a bumpy road at times. Well,
1: uh, I agree with you. Both of you, because you know, he's also a nice guy, Ralph Krueger in Buffalo. Hey, where's <laughs> that team going?
2: Yeah,
1: right. Oh, Taylor Hall loves Ralph. Kruger. Oh, great, great, great. I don't care. Like, how is is the team any better with him behind the bench? So, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. So, here's the last question for me, uh, and I've asked this before uh, of you, Felix, on the uh, SiriusXM show. It doesn't look like they're going to really contend for a playoff spot. So when we get to game 50, what do you do with Ryan Getzlaff?
2: Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's the question that uh, is going to keep popping back up the more this team loses. I think with Ryan Getzlaff, there's just something that would just feel like a shame if they did end up trading him, right? I mean, he's he's been there the whole way. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's been a franchise staple there would be something just kind of unsatisfying about seeing him traded away. And and part of it is up to him. I mean, a lot of it is up to him. He's got a full no move. Does he decide, you know what, I want to go give this another chase. I want to go um, and try to get another crack at it or, and from a duck's perspective, it, for them, is it worth asking him to to do that to consider waving his no move clause just so that they can get what, you know, I mean, what is Ryan Getzloff worth right now in the open market? Maybe you a second round pick that second round pick and a, and a decent prospect. I mean, he, I don't think his trade value is particularly high. Um, maybe I'm underestimating that a bit, but I, I don't really know what you do with, with Ryan Getzloff. If, if it were up to me, I think you just have to have a very honest conversation with him. What, what are your intentions right now? What is it that, that you kind of see for the rest of your career? Do you want to go take a run at a Stanley cut this season? And then we bring you back during the off season to kind of finish out your career in Anaheim. So, it's a tough one, and I don't really have, a, unfortunately, a great, yeah. satisfying answer for you there.
1: <laughs> but, but doesn't that go by the boards, if you buy up Corey Perry, this notion of lifetime ducks? Like, to me, it's like, that is okay, fair. right? I mean, to me, yeah. if Corey was still on the team, I'd say, yeah. With respect to Ryan, first of all, he's not going to get $8.25 million once he becomes unrestricted at the end of yeah. the year. Right, so if he wants to come back and <laughs> yep. do a victory lap or try to contend with this team, I get it. But to me, that notion about lifetime duck that went out the window last year. So you could easily trade Ryan Getzlaff think, because he bought out Corey Perry. Yep.
2: No, that's totally fair, and I think that from Ryan Getzlaff's perspective, I mean, I don't, I can't read his mind, but I would imagine that seeing your longtime teammate and friend Corey Perry get bought out might not, you know, that might lower some of your some of your desire to to be there forever, as well, to see another guy leave. And look, Corey Perry's playing real well for the Montreal Canadiens right now. He had a good playoff run uh, with the Dallas Stars last year, and maybe Ryan Getzlav is thinking, "Hey, why why couldn't I do that? Right, go have fun somewhere else." So yeah, I think that's a great point, and maybe that does um, that does open things up a lot more than maybe I'm thinking here.
0: Well, I'll just go on record and say I would be absolutely shocked if he was traded. Um, I think we've heard yeah. him say a number of times that he has no intentions of of waving, he has no intentions of leaving, and uh, he wants to finish his career with one team. That is important to some guys. And uh, I just don't think... And this is going to sound very negative. I just don't think that he has that same competitive drive that a guy like Corey Perry does. I think that Perry wanted out. And I think that's part of where the buyout came from. I think that he wanted to go somewhere else and still wanted to win and still wanted to do things. And I think that Getzloff, just the sense that I've always gotten from him, he's comfortable, Uh, In his surroundings, he's comfortable with the organization and the routines and he's building chicken coops and he's doing all this stuff. I just think that he wants to ride it out. He has his cup. He's good to go. And he'll ride Mm -hmm. this out to the very end. I'd be shocked. I'd be very, very shocked if something happened. This team could this yeah. team could lose the next thirty in a row, and I still would be shocked if they if they traded him. But uh, look, let's wrap this up on a high note. Then, not about trading the face <laughs> of the franchise. Um, reverse retro. A lot of hype coming into the season about the reverse retro jerseys. Obviously, big debate here in Southern California. Kings fans, of course, hated the Ducks uh, jersey with you know bringing back Wild Wing. I still don't understand the decision, but um, I'd be curious for your perspective. W- was bringing back Wild Wing the right thing? And then, is there any disappointment? That uh, on Tuesday night, the Kings are going to be wearing their reverse retro. And when this thing first launched, the original intention was to have the reverse retros uh, playing against each other. Um, But it seems like that a lot of teams are reluctant to bring their reverse retros on the road. That's what I've been hearing. And that's why we're not seeing this. But it doesn't make any sense. Anaheim's bringing a set of jerseys on a bus from Orange County to L.A. Like, how hard is it to, you know, bring the reverse retros? Why are they not wearing them against the Kings wearing their they're Their uh, forum blue and gold on Tuesday night.
2: Yeah, well, so you know, I'm not like a, I'm not a fan of the team. I'm, I've never been like a diehard fan of the team or anything like that. So I don't really have any kind of nostalgic attachment to the jersey. But based on you know friends that I have that are Ducks fans, a lot of people seem to be really happy with it coming back. I mean, you saw the numbers of how it sold out so quickly, and I'm sure so it, it seems to be it. It seems to be a hit. I think that there's a lot of you know, especially the people that were younger back then. I think now that it's available, they have the nostalgia. Whereas the people who were maybe more, you know, a little older at that time didn't like it because it was so outside of the box. I think it's a <laughs> funky jersey for sure. Wouldn't have been my pick. I mean, I would have just brought back the original Mighty Ducks jersey and just flipped, flipped the colors around. That right? would have been my, my choice. I mean, it seems like such a layup. Um, I don't know why they, I mean, first off, I don't know why it's just not the home and away, but that's a completely separate conversation. But yeah, what's very confusing is that the Ducks are only—I mean, they—they they put out their schedule, and it's only twice on their schedule now. Some people have speculated, well, they're not listing the times where they're going to be on the road or, or what have you. I, I don't really understand that. It would be such a—it would be such a cool sight to see the Wild Wing jersey going against the the Kings Reverse Retro. But wait a minute,
0: let me let me jump know. in there. So so fans are huh? speculating that the Ducks are going to wear their jerseys for additional games, and they just haven't released those dates yet. Yeah, so I,
2: I do a podcast. Be... I find that hard I, to I, I do I, I do a podcast with my buddy Jake Rudolph on the Crash the Pond podcast, and he he's always looking for alternative explanations of <laughs> hey, you know how, how could this be less bad than it seems? And that is his current that is his current thought. And this so, hey, he could here, be yeah. right. He could, he could be right, but uh, I mean, if if, that, if that's how if that's the if that's where you need to go, uh, you're in a rough spot.
0: Well, please text me if they add more dates uh, because I that. <laughs> Maybe he's right. It does seem like a does seem like a bit of a stretch. I, I just honestly, I don't understand it. Like I said, it's uh, I get it. If you don't if you're going on a long road trip and you don't want to bring more laundry with you, that's fine. Uh, but it doesn't seem like it would be that difficult for you to take take it to, uh, you know, to L.A., to Staples Center. So uh, who knows? Um, they won't have an opportunity, though, later in the year because the Kings are going to wear their 90s jerseys, the, the real ones, the 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 real heritage jerseys, the white Gretzky era jerseys. They're going to wear those for three games in a row against the ducks. Uh, I think that's in like late March, early April or whatever. So, uh, you would think that Anaheim would not have, you can tell your buddy, they won't be able to add them to those games because those would be like white on white jerseys. So their real chance would be Tuesday night against the Kings forum, blue and gold.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it does seem like a bit of a missed opportunity, but you know, you can't have nice things in this day and age, I guess. (laughs)
0: What, what a fabulous way to end your time here on Kings of the Podcast. You can have nice things. Well, let's hope that Tuesday night is a lot of fun. Uh, if nothing else, reverse retro uh, jerseys around the league, they have gone – to overtime the majority of the games according to the stats and the home team has won so if that means anything that uh, we're in for some free extra hockey on tuesday night kings ducks felix outstanding job on your first visit here into kings of the podcast we're going to have to have you back on later in the season to uh, when the kings and ducks get ready to do that four or five games in a row um in, enjoy here what's going on and uh, we'll have to see if dallas eakins is still the coach the next time we have you on absolutely
2: it was a pleasure guys thanks so much thanks,
0: all right man. there you go Felix, we'll talk about the Ducks and the Kings more on the other side of the break, right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, third period. And De- Dennis, that might have been the most Ducks talk we've ever had here on Kings of the Podcast.
1: Oh, without question. Probably by 30 minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I thought he, I thought Felix was fantastic. Yeah. Yes.
1: And his podcast is called Crash the Pond. One of these days we might get invited on his podcast, but he was really in-depth, logic behind the reasons why and opinionated what do you want he did a great job
0: i i liked it uh, you know it doesn't matter to me whether we agreed or disagree with his opinions he was educated he was informed he his he had a reason to back up all of his you know theories uh or you know opinions if you will and um very deep knowledgeable went you know dug it all the way down every player on the roster you know all the way up to the gm's front door so uh Man, I, I can't wait to have Felix back on the program. Those are the kind of people that we need to get on the program when we're, when we're doing a, a deep dive onto the other team and, and sort of looking at the, uh, the opposition. We talk a lot of LA Kings on here, but it's good to hear about the other teams the Kings are facing this year, uh, eight times each.
1: Yeah, for sure, exactly. I can't wait for that seventh Arizona Kings game, John.
0: Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Well, the only good thing about them playing the Coyotes later this year is that we'll be sure to get Shane Doan back on the program. He was practically begging for an invite when we had him on recently, and uh, he's a good guy, so we like to have like to have him on. I've been trying to book Madonna for the uh, for the Minnesota Wild series, but that hasn't come to be. Maybe we'll get Bill, Billy Guerin instead. Who cares? We'll just talk Team USA hockey with him the whole time, and um, you know, World Cup of 1996, which was really when it started for Team USA uh, taking a run at, uh, at Team Canada's you know, dominance that they had had forever. Hey, Dennis, though, before we move along, and we have a lot of Kings talk to get to, uh, including the roster and uh, all the changes that are taking place with the lineup, but we do like to remind everybody that Kings of the Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. And guys, with Valentine's Day uh, upon us now, make sure that you're ready for wherever the night may take you. Our friends over at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, are here to tell you that you need to use the best tools for the job so that you can be ready for anything on that special day, or any other day for that matter. Uh, Over two million people, Dennis, uh, they've already trusted Manscaped products for for grooming and other reasons, and uh, we're hoping that you guys are one of them. Your girl can't think of what you get you this year for Valentine's Day? No problem. Just tell her to get you the gift that's for both of you. Uh, The best way to get started is with Manscaped, uh, their perfect package 3.0. It's full of the best products to keep you looking, smelling, and feeling nice. DB, we've been talking about the Perfect Package 3.0 for a couple of months now here on the program. It uh, features their revolutionary third generation lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. It has the Skin Safe technology, which is the uh, cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. That's very important. Waterproof. And uh, DB, it has what? The LED light. The DB approved yes. LED light. The DB approved, That is the trademark is patent pending. Um, and of course, you also have all some of their other scents and their bombs and, and stuff. You have the Crop Preserver, the Crop Reviver. Uh, it'll help with sweating and smelling and chafing and sticking and all sorts of good stuff. And you have the, uh, the high-performance boxers that are available. Uh, look, to complete your grooming game, you can also get the Refined Cologne, uh, which is the signature scent by Manscaped that came out recently. And we talked about that a few programs ago. So lots of different offerings from Manscaped. And, of course, with Valentine's coming up, they do have the perfect package for your perfect package. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code KOTPNEW. That's K-O-T-P-N-E-W. Use it at manscaped.com. You'll get 20% off plus free shipping when you use that code K-O-T-P-N-E-W. Happy Valentine's Day from Manscaped. And we hope to be talking to you again before Valentine's Day, but here uh, from both Dennis and myself. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Let's make it a good one this year. We need, we need some exciting things to talk about in 2020. Absolutely. We need some happiness and let's do it. Well, I don't know if this is going to be happy, Dennis, when we talk about the it all depends on how you look at things. When we talk about the um, the Kings roster, look, here's we'll just sort of go through a laundry list of things and uh, give you an opportunity to react. And we can discuss, first of all, Adrian Kempe was out sick on Sunday. So just to sort of recap, when the Kings came back from a dreadful trip to Minnesota where they lost Matt Roy And uh, Sean Walker for what looks like an extended period of time. We're still waiting for official word from L.A. on how long that'll be. But it sounds like it's going to be for an extended period of time. When they did return back late Thursday night, they ended up taking Friday off. They canceled practice on Saturday and reloaded. They came back on Sunday, sort of to get their engines going, as Todd McClellan called it, and then really got after it at practice today on Monday. So at Sunday's practice, Adrian Kempe was uh, a no show. And according to Todd, it was not protocol related. He was just out sick and he was good to go at Monday's practice. Looks like he'll be fine for the game on Tuesday. Anything about Adrian Kempe, you want to add DB?
1: No, you just exhale because, you know, he's blue like something you missed the practice going, Oh boy, what's the next move. So so that's just good. But no, he's back on the top line and uh, he'll be reunited with Kopi, and uh, hopefully they'll, uh, uh, produce something tomorrow night
0: yeah so you have Kempe uh, up on the top line with Ayafalo and Kopitar and of course Adrian came on the program last week and was really excited about the new role that he has with the team and and feels that he adds something uh to that top line and so with all the other changes going on around the lineup at least the top line is staying intact And so now you get to the second line DB which of course um, had been the line with Double A and Blake Lazat and Jeff Carter uh Double-A left behind in Minnesota, still there with uh, in, in protocol. Not even sure how or when he's going to be flying back to Los Angeles. So he was left behind. And then now Blake Lazat into protocol over the weekend. So two-thirds of the Kings' second line they're out. And what they ended up doing is they ended up shuffling things around and moving Michael Amadio up to play the two C. So basically to take Lazat's spot. And then Austin Wagner, who you were asking about, DB, where has he been? Well, McClellan found him. And so the second (laughs) line is now going to be Wagner, Amadio and Jeff Carter.
1: And I've already got texts about Amadio on the second line. Everybody exhale. This is (laughs) this is uh, over. Gabe Velary, until he starts winning face offs, you're going to put Amadeo in that spot. It's it's not a big deal. It's temporary. And when Lazak comes back, you're going to have the same rotation.
0: Now, Let me just throw something out there. Go ahead. And it, it has to do with Jeff Carter playing center on that line. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get to that. Remind me and I'll get to that after we get through the other lines here just so we can stay focused. So the third line, which um, had been Leah Anderson playing long Alongside Gabe Velarde at center, and then uh, uh, Dustin Brown. Which of course shows ago, I recommended or thought I would really like to see Grunstrom up on that line. Mm-hmm. And apparently Todd agrees because the third line now, the reconstructed third line, is going to be Grunstrom on the uh, left wing, Velarde and Brown. So, what do you think about that third line?
1: I think it shows there's more and more trust between the coach and uh, Grunstrom. I think he's yeah. con- continuing to progress up the food chain, which is great. Because John, you've said this. This was really the the make or break year for Carl Gronstrom, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. he didn't really get much traction up until this season. He said this is the make or break, and he's making the best of an opportunity.
0: And I do like leaving Dustin Brown on that line. Some have said, well, why not move Brown up to that line with Carter's, you know, because, you know, you know, Austin Wagner and Amadio doesn't really get people excited playing with Jeff Carter. Why not flip it and put Brown up on that line? It's an option. And maybe that eventually does happen if things don't work out. However, as I said a few shows ago, I like the idea of spreading the three veterans out, having mm-hmm. Kopitar on one line, Carter on another line and Brown on another line. I think it gives them a little more balance. So uh, to the fourth line, the reason that Leas Anderson was moved out of the spot on left wing three and moved into the center spot on the fourth line was because as we mentioned Amadio has been promoted up to the second line center and so the new fourth line appears to be Trevor Moore on the left side Leah Sanderson playing in at center and then on the right side it does look like at least for the Ducks Mm -hmm. game that Arthur Kaliev wearing number 34 Dennis is going to make his NHL debut John, what'd you say? Your work was done yesterday with the numbers? Yes, my work was done. I mean, it's all these dominoes that I've been trying to move around for the last six months. You domino
1: jip. I saw that. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Hey, look, I'm excited for Artie. If he can play tomorrow night, get in a game, see what he can do. Things fantastic, even if it's on the fourth line. So that's just uh, another reason to get a little bit more excited about what's going on in here in Los Angeles.
0: And DB, you might also remember, since you love it when I say I told you so, was a few episodes ago, I was saying that I, I expected Arthur Kaliev to make his NHL debut before Byfield, and this was even before Byfield was injured. I just thought that Kaliev was more NHL ready, and Todd made reference to that after practice today as well, saying, hey, look, uh, Kaliev came here, you know, a, a boy last year, very skilled, but he came back a young man, a much different, much improved player this year, and uh you also had Coach Robo after the rain game the other night talking up Artie's defensive um, skills at this point and how he's been really impressed with his, he very specifically said, with his 200-foot game. And that's something uh, I picked up on it because that's something that Nate Lehman, who was the coach at the World Juniors, also talked about with Kaliev. So he really took advantage of those 10 months off. And, um, that, those are the, Andrew,
1: it's in a very small sample. I mean, they saw a big change in a very short period of time. They didn't need 20 games to make that decision. Right, to yeah. see that progression. They saw it in what? How many games did he play? Four preseason games? Played five, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in five preseason games, it's like this is a different player. And that that's kudos to the player to, to make yeah. that commitment and make those changes and and you know build we'll out his toolbox.
0: It's also about timing to make sure that you're ready when opportunity knocks, right? Because Martin Furk, if this right. was a week from now, I don't think the same opportunity would be there for Kaliev. Now, sure. now certainly maybe somebody like a Trevor Moore, maybe he sits out uh, in order to get, you know, to get Artie into the lineup if you wanted to give him an NHL look. But the fact is, uh, Ferk is coming off of a hernia. Uh, excuse me, a pulled groin. Mm-hmm. Sorry, he's coming off of a pulled groin, which happened um, during one of the uh, the scrimmages during training camp. And so he hasn't been on the ice for a couple of weeks. Todd on Sunday seemed to indicate that he didn't expect FERC to play on Tuesday. He thought that Furk would more likely draw back into the lineup in the Vegas series. And then today he kind of hedged a little bit. He wouldn't commit to it, which is fine. I mean, it's normal coach talk. Um, But uh, he still, in my opinion, seemed to indicate that Firk would be more likely to draw into the lineup after he gets a couple more practices under his belt, which ultimately means there are three players that are fighting for that right wing spot on the fourth line. Either Kaliev, Matt Luff, who is also coming back off of IR, um, and then Anderson Dolan. So, which is where I sort of wanted to go with this, DB. Um, Back to the Jeff Carter comment. Yeah. Instead of playing a Mario on that line at center. I'd rather see Jeff Carter slide over and play center. Now, I know that the long-term plan this season is to play Carter at center. We talked uh, with with Todd McClellan on, here on Kings of the Podcast leading into training camp about that. And that's the plan, and that's fine. And Carter is going to be a winger for the LA Kings moving forward. But just given this short little period here, hopefully short period, where Blake Lazad is out, I think Carter at the second C is a better option personally than putting Amadio there. And I would rather see them put Carter there. And then maybe, maybe, maybe even if you're going to let Kaliev jump in, Mm -hmm. you really want to talk about playing the kids, let Kaliev play there. Or, and I know this goes against what I said earlier, if you don't like the idea of Kaliev playing on the second line, then maybe for this one game, put Grunstrom up there on the second line with Carter. Uh, And there's a line for you that I think has a lot of options. We talked about this a few programs ago. So on the second line, you would have Wagner, Carter and Grunstrom. I like that line. And then you could leave Brown with Velarde. And then you could put Kaliev on that line as well. Cause Brown can slide over and play the left side already can play the right side. And so you maybe would give Kaliev a couple more minutes than you might on the fourth line. So, uh, and then you could leave, leave Amadio, you know, down on the fourth line since yeah. people, whatever people like, you know, what he brings defensively, uh, at least Todd does right now. So you, you could do that and then still move around some of the pieces. You don't, I'm not saying change any of the players in the lineup, just move some of the, right. move some of the dick chairs around.
1: I think the one thing you want to do is, is keep Brown with Villardi. I think right. Villardi needs some consistency on his line. So you want to yes. take a, a guy off there, but I think Dustin with Gabe, I think with respect to the tutoring and, and with the respect of the type of game that Dustin plays, I, I think it's smart to leave those two together.
0: Yeah, but follow my logic there, DB, because that's exactly what I'm saying. You would leave, you would leave Brown with Velarde, yes. And hell, if you left Lea's Anderson there, you want consistency for Velarde. That whole third line is still together, right? Right. Yes. You're you're just you're you're moving Grunstrom from the fourth line up to the second line, and which is the one that
1: needs fixing anyway because of the absences.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: to me, you can can experiment with that line. Yes, I. Any combination you want to throw up there. I've got no problem with it because that's the one that's that's missing players. So experiment. And, you know, John, you know how hockey games go by the, by the middle of the second period. It might be totally different. But yeah, I agree with you. If you're going to experiment, experiment with that one.
0: I also like the idea of putting Grunstrom up on the second line just because of the physicality he brings and that sort right. of power forward element. And I think you need that when you're playing Anaheim. So um, Fine, he's going to get it on the third line. but that third line is a wrecking crew of a line. You talk about Dustin Brown with Villardi and grunstrom That's a line to really like, DB. That's a line to get excited about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That physical presence. And, you know, yeah, that they're going to, you're going to know that the other opposite is going to know they're on the ice for sure. And against a team in Anaheim that really can't find any scoring touch, I think that could be, they could do some offensive damage as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's just quickly go through the defense here, DB. Uh, defensively, of course, the top pairing, Mikey Anderson, remains with Drew Doughty. So that has that shown well so far this year, and the Kings are expecting to go with that. It looks like Kale Clegg is going to slide over to the right side and of course he's very versatile plays right and left it was something that mike stuthers had uh really drilled into his brain over the last couple of years in ontario uh the importance of being versatile and, and clegg's performed well on both sides so clegg's going to slide over and play the right side reunited with the guy that he played with in ontario at times in uh in curtis mcdermott that's your second pair Whew. and uh then your third pair it uh, looks like uh, mark alt is going to be playing with Ole Mata. any thoughts on the defensive pairings Maybe we'll just play four defensemen. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and which four would the I, I, I'm but assuming the you first think that, four, uh, not the last? No, okay, and the thing with
1: Clegg, maybe he's this generation that I'm not comparing from a skill standpoint, but maybe he's the more the Alc Martinez, maybe he's the guy mm-hmm. that can play both sides, plays off because right now you don't really have a player like that. Maybe he can develop into that, and it's good that and that, again, John, that's about development, right? That you can mm-hmm. play in the a and play both sides, and now when this pops up. He's going to be more comfortable than just throwing him in there and never having to play that. Is offside.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, Clegg has become that Swiss Army knife, if you will, a- among the defensive uh, prospects. And and it's pretty exciting, I think, if you're Kel Clegg as well. Uh, I was talking to him on the Zoom, but I think it was yesterday, and just saying, hey, you know, you, you certainly were not expected to be up on the second pairing already. You've you've been playing on the second pairing and, and performing rather well. And then now, just think about the opportunity that's in front of you. And you know, of course, he admitted that he feels sick just thinking about the, the, uh, the injuries that took place to, to Roy and to Walker. And you never like to see that, whether it's your team or the opposition, those were some brutal injuries that defensemen don't like to see. Uh, but you know, he said, look, I have to, I have to co- kind of put that in the back of my brain and I have to look at the positive in the situation and I have to be focused on the opportunity that's in front of me. And he recognizes this is a massive opportunity. This is, this is his time to shine and, and is as unfortunate as it is that a couple of his teammates are, are on the sidelines, mm-hmm. he can't be thinking about that. He has to be thinking about the task at hand, which is showing his teammates and showing the coaching staff that he deserves to be getting uh, those additional minutes now on the blue line.
1: And, John, remember, and I don't want to draw another parallel to Martinez, but, John, when they won championships, where was Alec Martinez playing? It was the third pair defenseman. There you week. go. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So go up there, get those minutes, that get experience, come back down, and have a more experienced, more versatile guy in the third pair. It's a win.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's just wrap up here today, DB, with a couple of footnotes uh, for the Ontario Rain. They, of course, completed their five game exhibition season. And uh, first, <laughs> it's been headlines. It seems like almost every game uh, with the Ontario Reign. And, and look, I tried to tell everybody this is it's almost more important to watch what happens over the first 10 rain games than it is to watch what happens with the first 10 LA Kings games, because the development of guys like Kaliev, of guys like Tyler Madden, uh, Byfield, Bjornfoot, brand new head coach, and John Robleski. There's so much going on with Ontario that is exciting, yet at the same time, unproven. And you really have to see how it's all going to play out. So over five preseason games, they did end up going three, one, and one. Uh, and the big headline came in game one where Quentin Byfield scored a goal and basically was sidelined. Uh, I believe it was early in game two. So those that was an early headline. Goodbye to Byfield for seven to 10 days. Hopefully he's on the mend. But man, over the remaining games, Tyler Madden stole all the headlines. This is the kid who was traded, or was part of the Tyler Toffoli trade last year. So it wasn't originally selected by the LA Kings. But Dennis, when he was traded, he immediately slid into the LA Kings top 10 prospect list at number five. And, of course, you look at the names that are above him, and he's in pretty good company, you know, Kaliev and Bjornfoot, and he was number five. Kapari was number six. That just gives you a sense of of how good Tyler Madden was expected to be. And, I mean, you you don't want to overhype five preseason games, but, Dennis, he had six goals in five games. (laughs) And, John, just go back
1: to the day of the trade and look at the Canucks Twitter (laughs) and see the response to them trading away Tyler Madden. Like, they were really upset about it. So this kid is, look, he's got the bloodlines. John Madden was was a really solid player. He was never a superstar, but he's got the bloodlines. And, yeah, coming out of the box, John, yeah, get excited.
0: Well, and let's not get too excited, though, okay? So everybody relax. They're not going to be calling up Tyler Madden. He doesn't doesn't have any pro experience to speak of yet. These were exhibition games. Game one, his very first official pro game, which is the same for Akil Thomas and, many other players on that roster. The first game is scheduled for February 6th and you can watch every one of the Ontario rain games this year. You can stream every game. You get the AHL TV package. It's very inexpensive and you can get a number of different packages. You can get just the Ontario rain home games. You can get just the Ontario rain road games. You can get just the Ontario rain games period. You can also get, I think for like $10 more every American league uh, game, so you can you sort of can pick and choose what package you want. And I do want to give a quick shout out, though, to the Ontario Rain slash L.A. Kings operations group over at uh, Toyota Sports Performance Center. The stream, the, the, the debut of the stream from TSPC was on Saturday night and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And it was such a stark contrast to the stream the night before uh, from the Honda Center. Where the camera angles were too far away, everything was in tight there at TSPC, and it was just uh, and the nets came down, so it was it was a beautiful stream. And Dennis, I'll go far, so far as to tell you, it was a better stream than if you were used to watching AHL TV from uh, Toyota Arena out in Ontario. So Rain fans, I think, have a lot to be excited about, and uh, you're going to have what you're going to have thirty something games I think to uh, to watch this year on stream. Sounded like a
1: little bit of a lecture to those fans who don't yeah. want to. St- <laughs> You yes. friends who talked about streaming before. The only problem with streaming, John, is like if you have the app, there's such delay. And, and you know, it's funny because in our house, we have the Budweiser red light when it's, you know, that red light that goes off when you score goals, when teams score uh-huh. goals. And, you know, I always know when the Kings are going to score because PJ set the, for the Kings goals. So you're sitting there watching the game and like all of a sudden the red light goes off and they're at center ice. I'm like, okay, here comes a goal. So that's the one okay. thing about streaming. It, there's such a delay on it. Sometimes it's 30 seconds, sometimes it's a minute, and that's a bit of a long stream, but it's no reason why you shouldn't subscribe to streaming.
0: I want to say, Dennis, you rebounded quickly. I was about to give you one of my infamous two-day bans on Mayor's Manor there, uh, but you rebounded at the end to say that that was not enough of a complaint to block you from streaming. So good. You, you just you, have to
1: get used to it, John. You have to adapt. It's 2021. Let's go. <laughs> you want to watch <laughs> the games, watch the games. It's 30 seconds. Change minute, is difficult. Her. It Changes John more and more, it's, it's so <laughs> difficult not for us, for everybody. Else. Uh, I just I what the changing it to I, Bally Sports? How can they do that? That's gambling. Okay, okay, everybody. <laughs>
0: Uh, I I don't know why. I feel bad for Todd McClellan, though. If he has to answer one more COVID-related question, he might be the first guy ever that's going to break the 4D plane. I think he's going to come through the Zoom and choke the person that asks the question. uh, Dennis. I do have one more quick thing. Uh, yes. Shameless plug before we before we exit here. Please. On mayorsmanor.com, there is an article about Lucas Perry, the goaltender. Yes, and uh, just what a uh, just this guy's story is unbelievable. And I wrote about it. It's up there. You should go read it. There's video as well. Uh, the the you know you might remember that at the World Juniors, he was one of the the early headlines when um, he upset Team Russia. Uh, you know, Czech Republic, which is his home country that he was playing for. They upset. The, one of the medal favorites in, in Russia, really, in the, in the round-robin tournament, and then he's pretty much been on the sidelines since the end of the World Juniors. He was waiting to see what's happening with the WHL. He said, forget it. He signed on. He's going to finish the season with the USHL, and actually later this afternoon, I'm expecting him to be named the goaltender of the week. Phenomenal performance. He flies over from Europe. He plays in back-to-back games. He's number one star in both games, <laughs> and then he gets into a tussle, and the video's there on Mayor's Manor. He gets into a tussle with a couple of guys as well. This dude is no joke, uh, and, and yeah. he he is very young. He's just he's just beginning his career, but he's a, a prospect to keep an eye on, Lucas Perik. Oh well, yeah, I mean
1: John, you've done chapter and verse on the depth they have at the goaltending, so it's in really good shape. And he's just another
0: example of it right now. And you know, Dennis, he happens to be represented by a guy named Alan Walsh, oh, yeah. agent to the Stars, and uh, maybe we'll have more on that in the coming days.
1: I think it's a pretty good bet, John. Right?
0: It's a great teaser. DB, it's been a fantastic episode. Thanks again to Felix for coming on, prepping us on the Anaheim Ducks, uh, uh, going into the big reverse retro debut game coming up on Tuesday night. And uh, Dennis, we'll have to do this again later in the week. All right, have a great week, everybody.
1: Winners and losers Turn the pages of my life We'll beggars and us. With all the struggles and the strife I got no reason To turn my head and look the other way We're good and we're evil Which one? Sinners, life's a gamble, and you might lose. There's
0: cowards and heroes, both have been known how to break the rules. There's lovers and
1: haters, the strong and the weak. Well,